Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, June 23rd, 2022, the 519th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. If you're listening to this episode a couple days behind, then what you need to do to catch up to get back on pace is sign up for a paid subscription at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can sign up for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. That breaks down to less than a quarter per episode and you get all the writing right up front. And it's worth noting because I haven't relayed this information before that from Substack, you can actually just connect the Substack podcast feed to the app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also copy and paste the RSS link from the Substack. search that in your podcast app, and then you should receive the podcast daily via the RSS feed on the podcast app you use, and everything will just feel right back to normal again. There is also a Substack reader app where you can play the podcast as well. So that's the option. Take the option. Go do it. If you can spare it and if you want to support the show and if you don't a couple days late, all good or get in touch with me via telegram or truth social. And I still have one more 
free subscription to giveaway that was sponsored by someone in the Telegram chat. That someone being Wayne. So thanks, Wayne. And thanks on behalf of the people who have signed up through Wayne. But let's get into it. Today has already been a really, really big news day. There is just a staggering amount of stuff coming out, and I clearly will not be able to get to all of it. Not that that is ever my intent, obviously. There's no way I can do that and cover everything in depth the way I want to. But this is one of those days where I'm like, well, I can't leave that out. So to get started, let's talk about the Supreme Court. They have not given their decision yet in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, which threatens to overturn Roe versus Wade and send abortion back to the states. And at that point, we can assume that the communists will begin rioting. That is their premise for riots at this point. They haven't gotten a good race crime yet. They haven't had a good uh, unarmed black person shot by police story in weeks, though they have tried. And no one is going to buy rioting or put up with rioting based on the gun decision, which I'm about to talk about. But I also don't think the country is going to put up with a summer like 2020 over the abortion issue either. So as it stands now, there will be more opinions released tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow is abortion day or possibly Monday. But if I'm not mistaken, we will get that decision by next Friday. I suppose there's a chance that Roe versus Wade will not be overturned. And then it would be up to our side to react in an appropriate way to that unfortunate news if it comes. But all signs right now point to Roe versus Wade being overturned, the communists freaking out, trying to stage riots all across the country. And I guess we'll just have to see how that goes. But today we did get the decision on the case out of New York involving restrictions on concealed carry. This is the foxnews.com headline. Supreme Court gun decision shoots down New York rule that set high bar for concealed carry licenses. The Supreme Court Thursday ruled 6-3 that New York's regulations that made it difficult to obtain a license to carry a concealed handgun were unconstitutionally restrictive and that it should be easier to obtain such a license. The existing standard required an applicant to show proper cause for seeking a license and allowed New York officials to exercise discretion in determining whether a person has shown a good enough reason for needing to carry a firearm, stating that one wished to protect themselves or their property was not enough. And quoting from the decision. In this case, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for their self-defense. We, too, agree and now hold, consistent with Heller and McDonald, that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a gun for self-defense outside the home, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in the court's opinion, referencing two previous gun cases. Because the state of New York issues public carry licenses only when an applicant demonstrates a special need for self-defense, we conclude that the state's licensing regime violates the Constitution. Thomas noted that the state statute does not define what proper cause means and that courts had ruled that the standard was met by people who showed a special need for self-protection. 
This special needs standard is demanding, Thomas wrote. For example, living or working in an area noted for criminal activity does not suffice. In 43 other states, Thomas noted, authorities are required to issue licenses to applicants who meet certain requirements and officials do not have discretion to say no due to what they believe is an insufficient need. The case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated versus Bruin, was the first major gun rights case before the Supreme Court in more than a decade. Thomas referenced 2010's McDonald versus City of Chicago and D.C. versus Heller in his reasoning for Thursday's ruling. As we stated in Heller and repeated in McDonald, individual self-defense is the central component of the Second Amendment right, the justice cited. He also referenced how Heller made clear that restrictions on carrying guns in sensitive places is permissible and how New York was wrong for arguing that its law was merely doing just that. We do think respondents err in their attempt to characterize New York's proper cause requirement as a sensitive place law, Thomas wrote, explaining that New York viewed sensitive places as anywhere where people typically congregate and where law enforcement and other public safety professionals are presumptively available. This definition, Thomas said, is too broad. And that makes a lot of sense. The idea that public safety professionals are presumptively available in all of public space is insane. Sure, you can call the police if something happens, but if that something happening is someone shooting another person, the ability to call police actually doesn't stop that in any way. And the truth is, a couple of weeks ago in Uvalde, we witnessed a case where police were on the scene. An overwhelming number of police were on the scene and they didn't do anything to protect children. So the presumptive availability of public safety professionals is not the sort of thing that would provide anyone real comfort. And it's certainly not the sort of thing that would make someone's right and desire to carry a gun for self-defense redundant. Put simply, there is no historical basis for New York to effectively declare the island of Manhattan a sensitive place simply because it is crowded and protected generally by the New York City Police Department, he wrote. And in the summer of 2020, we saw roving mobs breaking into stores and looting them. Millions and millions of dollars of merchandise just stolen. No police around anywhere. And New York City is one of the many cities that has communists in control, communists who were very much in favor of the defund the police agenda. So you're going to defund the police and get rid of them. And then you are going to say that the potential presence of police is enough to make it so that you don't have the right to carry a gun as self-defense. That's essentially what they're arguing. That is their position. And not only is that position completely irrational based on what we have seen and what we know about the state of our cities right now, it is also unconstitutional. And that position is now supported by this Supreme Court ruling. The conservative justice also looked at the plain language of the Second Amendment, 
which protects the right to keep and bear arms. He described keeping and bearing as two separate things, noting that Heller defines bear as, quote, to wear, bear or carry, end quote. This implies public carrying, Thomas said, because someone would not generally wear their gun in a holster at home, but would keep it somewhere. The 63-page opinion also explored historical restrictions on carrying handguns that New York relied on. Thomas explained why they do not justify a current restriction, noting how past regulations from centuries ago focused on, quote, dangerous and unusual weapons, end quote, while handguns today are relatively commonplace. While the handgun may have been considered dangerous and unusual during colonial times, the opinion said, in modern times, it is the quote-unquote quintessential self-defense weapon. And maybe I'm wrong here, but this seems to strike directly at the communist argument that the founders never anticipated these weapons of war. So good luck with that one, commies. Stick with it. It's going to work one of these days. The court's opinion also stated that the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms should not be held to a lower standard than other constitutional rights. Thomas wrote, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote an impassioned dissenting opinion in which he referenced present day fervor over gun violence, as well as recent events. Oh, that's interesting. None of those have anything to do with the text of the Constitution. But hey, emotions. Joined by Justices Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, Breyer cited statistics, including 45,222 Americans killed by firearms in the U.S. in 2020 the number of mass shootings that have already taken place in 2022 and how gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children and adolescents. And hey, Justice Breyer, go ahead and hold on to that one for a little while. People will probably be very, very interested in those statistics once we begin to see the death toll of the vaccines in full. Many states have tried to address some of the dangers of gun violence just described by passing laws that limit in various ways who may purchase, carry or use firearms of different kinds. Breyer wrote the court today severely burdens states efforts to do so. And that's correct because the Constitution specifically lays out the right to keep and bear arms as a fundamental right, which the states cannot erode. That's kind of the entire point of the Constitution. And that point was missed by a very popular Neil Katyal on Twitter. And he is a Georgetown law professor who was the deputy solicitor general of the United States under Barack Hussein Obama for a little over a year. He said this going to be very weird if Supreme Court ends a constitutional right to obtain an abortion next week, saying it should be left to the states to decide right after it just imposed a constitutional right to concealed carry of firearms, saying it cannot be left to the states to decide. So for a Georgetown law professor, he is either lying or very, very stupid. 
The Constitution does not have a right to abortion. It does have a right to keep and bear arms. The abortion decision, when it comes down, if it does overturn Roe versus Wade, does not reflect the principle that the states get to do whatever they want. That's not what the ruling is going to be. And that's not the principle here either. The principle here is that states are not allowed to override rights guaranteed by the Constitution. And so now the question becomes, where does this leave the ridiculous uniparty gun control bill that we discussed yesterday? Well, first, the votes have to happen. Then it has to be signed into, quote unquote, law by the fake president. And then implementation could begin in certain states. Legal challenges would certainly begin. And then it's a matter of how long it takes to wind through the courts and whether or not the communists are able to pack the Supreme Court before they overturn such a ridiculous law. But let's shift to another topic from yesterday's conversation, and that is the involvement of rhinos in election theft. And let's go down to Georgia. This is Real America's Voice, Heather Mullins, from this morning on War Room. She is discussing Garland Favorito and voter GA's challenges to Brad Raffensperger's primary win from May 24th. Yeah, big news coming out of Georgia, Steve. Brad Raffensperger's race and the results for the primary here are going to be challenged in all 159 counties. Now, this comes because there was an audit done in Cobb County, a Vining Cityhood race, right? A monitor team counted the, the Secretary of State's results and found that the machine had actually added uh, over 15% of the vote to his totals in this one county. Now, this comes after a Democrat running for uh, commissioner in DeKalb County District 2. She noticed that in her precinct, her and her husband's votes weren't counted when she noticed that it said that she had zero in her own precinct, right? So they did a recount there, Steve, and found that in the Democrat primary race, the machine was off there almost 3,000 votes. So now you have two recounts in Georgia, different counties, different races, different political parties showing that these machines were off. So that should be a lot of fun for Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and I wish him luck. And one more quick item. I want to share with you a political ad from Andrew Giuliani's campaign. He is facing off against Lee Zeldin in the New York governor primary. And Zeldin is just a dyed-in-the-wool establishment rhino. So let's see how the Giuliani campaign is handling that. A comment that is the textbook definition of a racist comment. Do you agree? The way I subjectively define racism, uh, I agree as well. Yeah, I'm not going to defend uh, his tweet. Uh, it was ugly. The rhinos. Do you know what a rhino is? So if Donald Trump is making racist statements, you're saying he's a racist. Uh, so again, uh, if uh, if a rhino may be the lowest form of human life. The way I subjectively define racism, uh, I agree as well. Now, there's really no point in rehashing whether or not Donald Trump is racist. It is a ridiculous claim that does not deserve any time whatsoever. But it is interesting that Giuliani is able to point out Lee Zeldin's 
willingness to get involved in that discussion and imply without saying that Donald Trump is actually a racist. Lee Zeldin allows himself his own subjective definition of racism, which is him accepting the cultural Marxist viewpoint that definitions don't mean anything. Everything is subjective. Oh, well, it's my truth that Donald Trump is racist. I was just on CNN speaking my truth. And that, of course, is ridiculous. But the real point here and the reason why this political ad is very effective is that Lee Zeldin isn't just implying or saying that Trump is racist. He's saying that you're racist, too. He is accepting the framework of the left and using one of the left's attacks against Donald Trump. Do you think he would hesitate to use those attacks against the people? Of course not. The way they attack Donald Trump is always a proxy for the way they will go after the American people if given the opportunity. And it is important that the voters of New York understand that Lee Zeldin will call people racists if it is politically expedient. He is willing to say the worst things about anyone, regardless of their truth, regardless of whether or not he believes it. And he certainly doesn't. You can listen to the way he answered those questions. He basically said, well, you know, I don't. I don't think Donald Trump is a racist, but by certain definitions, which I could be using, then maybe he is. And either way, I'm happy to say he is if that's what you and your viewers really want me to say. People like this absolutely cannot be trusted. It doesn't matter how many times he talks about opening up energy markets in New York. It doesn't matter what he says about the radical leftist agenda. He sounds the same and is the same as every other establishment rhino and each and every one of them need to be gone. Tucker Carlson did a long segment on rhinos last night. Sometimes I feel like he just listens to my show and then does another version of it in the evening, which is totally cool. But he hammered on a point that I maybe gave short shrift to yesterday, and that's that these Republicans are actively propping up Joe Biden. They are trying to rescue Joe Biden's fake presidency. Joe Biden's polling numbers, think what you will about polling, but he is at the lowest point. He is always at the lowest point. There's a poll out today that has him at 32% approval. That is under a third of the country. Two out of every three people understand that Joe Biden is awful at being fake president. And Tucker ran down the list of the times that rhino Republicans have bailed Joe Biden out. Imagine that they actually were faithful to their voters representing the interests of their constituents. What would Joe Biden's fake presidency look like right now without Republican help? Republicans are propping him up. They are saving Biden from himself. Since the day Biden was elected, Republicans in Washington have taken Biden's side on virtually every significant item in his policy agenda. That would include COVID restrictions, vaccine mandates, transgender ideology in schools, sanctions against China, the January 6th charade, free speech, civil liberties, spying by the intel agencies, preserving the big tech monopolies, 
the anti-white race politics of CRT and Juneteenth, border enforcement and energy policy, and above all, the administration's signature issue, its lunatic and reckless support for the war in Ukraine. Republicans are all in. It's called Kiev now. That's the Republican message heading into the midterm elections. Kiev. See, I told you he listens to the show. But consider that. Republicans are aiding and abetting the passage through the fake presidency and the illegitimate Congress of the global communist agenda. And they're calling it unity and they're calling it bipartisanship. And each and every time they do what the global communist order asks of them, they try to tell us why it's actually the right thing for us. We are supposed to accept the guidance and the word of the GOP establishment. We are supposed to fall in line behind them like good soldiers. We're supposed to pretend that they are the leaders. The people are the leaders. They have to do what we tell them to do or we vote them out of office. And since they know that, they have made it impossible for us to vote them out of office. They think it is their job to convince us that what the global communist order is actually the right thing. We have to agree with them. If we don't agree with them, then they're going to do what the global communist order demands anyway. And they'll tell us that it was an act of principle. They knew that they had to do the right thing, even though the voters didn't see it. Acting as if they're somehow our parent. We're not able to make these decisions for ourselves So they're going to do it for us. They've already figured out what the right way for the world to be is, and they're going to help enact that for our benefit eventually. But we have this all backwards and we need to let it go. We define what the agenda is. They rely on us for their power. Even if that reliance is superficial and distorted by election fraud, It is still the way the system is supposed to run, and we can return to that when we decide to, but we have to decide to. We cannot continue to pretend that these people are our leaders. They are no one's leaders. They are not leaders at all. They are people who are sitting in office to accumulate wealth and power and status, and the price of that wealth and power and status is doing what the global communist order demands of them. They are acting as gatekeepers for the will of the people. The will of the people cannot be enacted without them. And so they get to decide when the will of the people will be enacted. And it turns out that they decide the answer to that question is never because they're not there to serve the people. Now, changing subjects without a segue, Devin Nunes retruthed This post from Truth Social yesterday from a guy named John Rich. And the reason I mentioned the fact that Devin Nunes is reposting it is not to say like, oh, my goodness, Devin Nunes is the keeper of the flame. Whatever he retruths is the thing. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about Devin Nunes at all. It is about Devin Nunes's reach and his stature and the fact that he must be taken seriously by the establishment, by the mainstream media. 
And when I share the content of this post with you, I think you'll see why it's important for someone like Devin Nunes to be mainstreaming these ideas, because these ideas are all things that we have been told are conspiracy theories. So John Rich posts a list of questions. What really happened at the Vegas shooting? Who is the SCOTUS leaker? Why did the Uvalde police not stop the killer? Why are food facilities burning down? Why has no one been arrested from Epstein's black book? Where are the missing children? How did unarmed citizens get into the Capitol building? Who is actually running our country? How long can this continue? Those are all very important questions. Totally unanswered questions. And the deeper point is that for the central narrative, these questions are not only unanswered, but unanswerable. What are they supposed to say about any of these issues? They already debunked and fact-checked them. They already called them conspiracy theories. What else do they have? Well, they certainly don't have the facts that are necessary to answer those questions, at least not in any way that they are comfortable sharing, because the answers don't benefit them. But it seems like those answers are coming regardless. And it's a very good sign that someone like Devin Nunes is pushing this out to a much broader audience. These questions need answering. And with that in mind, Jordan Peterson tweeted this yesterday. OMFG, this is not good. This is not good at all. Serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA vaccination in randomized trials. And he posted a preprint paper from SSRN with that title, Serious Adverse Events of Special Interest Following MRNA Vaccination in Randomized Trials. Here is the abstract. In 2020, prior to COVID-19 vaccine rollout, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness, Innovations, and Brighton Collaboration created a priority list endorsed by the World Health Organization of potential adverse events relevant to COVID-19 vaccines. We leveraged the Brighton Collaboration List to evaluate serious adverse events of special interest observed in phase three randomized trials of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and the results from the abstract. Pfizer and Moderna mRNA COVID-19 vaccines were associated with an increased risk of serious adverse events of special interest with an absolute risk increase of 10.1 and 15.1 per 10,000 vaccinated over placebo baselines of 17.6 and 42.2 respectively. Combined, the mRNA vaccines were associated with an absolute risk increase of serious adverse events of special interest of 12.5 per 10,000. The excess risk of serious adverse events of special interest surpassed the risk reduction for COVID-19 hospitalization relative to the placebo group in both Pfizer and Moderna trials. The excess risk of serious adverse events found in our study points to the need for formal harm benefit analyses particularly those that are stratified according to risk of serious COVID-19 outcomes, such as hospitalization or death. And again, the point I'm making is not that Jordan Peterson tweeted it, so it must be true. The point is that the underlying message here is now being amplified 
by people like Jordan Peterson who have large followings and a whole lot of people who are normies and believe that they are centrists, which doesn't exist, who respect him a great deal. This is similar to the effect on a smaller scale, obviously, that Elon Musk is having. All of the technocratic scientific materialists, the progressives, the communists, the people I used to be around all the time in Hollywood and the people who I used to agree with about way too many things. These are people who, by and large, have a lot of respect within that centrist community. And by centrist, I mean people who don't really know anything and therefore don't stand for anything. But they're now receiving information that the mainstream, that the central narrative is trying to prevent them from seeing. And they're seeing it all from sources that they would have a really hard time arguing with. Elon Musk, in particular, was a hero to all of these people, all of these people who are so obsessed with the science, all of the technocrats, all of the people who think it would be really cool to upload their brain into a machine so that they could live forever in the lives that they don't really care much about right now. And you might say, well, hey, how can you say someone doesn't care about their lives? Well, because within the last couple of years, they have made a series of life altering decisions without finding out whether or not the people on TV might be wrong. They didn't consider for themselves whether they might be wrong. They just trusted the experts and followed the science. And it turns out they've poisoned themselves because they were unwilling to find out whether or not the no-no people had a point. So we now have a paper undergoing peer review authored by some very serious people who say that the risk of vaccine adverse events, serious adverse events, outweighs any potential benefit that the vaccines might offer. So not only are they not safe and effective, they are, in fact, dangerous to a greater degree than they could possibly be helpful. And the truth is the vaccines helping at all is only theoretic. There is no real world evidence that the vaccines do save lives. And soon the public will come to understand this. It has always been unavoidable. There was no other way this would have gone. Now, changing subjects without a segue, let's get into some world affairs. This is from Kanakoa the Great, and Kanakoa is just about the greatest, honestly. It's from his substack yesterday. 40 Democrats labeled Ukraine's Azov Battalion a terrorist organization in 2019. And we've discussed this before, but he puts it together really well. On October 16th, 2019, the top Democrat on the House Homeland Security Committee's counterterrorism subpanel, Representative Max Rose, led a letter signed by 40 Democrats asking the State Department why they had not placed Ukraine's Azov Battalion on the U.S. list of foreign terrorist organizations. In the letter, lawmakers compared the Azov Battalion to the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, and that would be ISIS, and discussed how Brenton Tarrant, the Christchurch, New Zealand mosque shooter who massacred 51 people in 2019 had been radicalized by the ultra nationalist militia organization, which, quote, openly welcomes neo-Nazis into its ranks. And he quotes from the letter. 
For example, the Azov Battalion is a well-known ultra-nationalist militia organization in Ukraine that openly welcomes neo-Nazis into its ranks. The group is so well-known, in fact, that the 115th Congress of the United States stated in its 2018 omnibus spending bill that, quote, None of the funds made available by this act may be used to provide arms, training, or other assistance to the Azov Battalion. The United Nations has chronicled human rights abuses and incidents of torture in this group's relatively short history. Despite these facts, Azov has been recruiting, radicalizing, and training American citizens for years, according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Christchurch New Zealand massacre was a turning point for counterterrorism efforts. In his manifesto, the shooter claimed he had trained with the Azov Battalion in Ukraine, and he routinely wore a neo-Nazi symbol associated with them. Both the Poway, California and El Paso, Texas shooters said they were directly influenced by the terrorism committed at Christ Church. The link between Azov and acts of terror in America is clear, end quote. So back to Kanakoa. The letter was signed by prominent Democrats such as Representative Benny Thompson, Representative Elliot Engel, Representative Jamie Raskin, Stephen Lynch, Jim Cooper, Gregory Meeks, Sheila Jackson Lee, Ro Khanna, and Al Green. And it is worth noting that Benny Thompson and Jamie Raskin are both on the illegitimate January 6th committee. The Azov Battalion was formally incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard on November 11th, 2014, but has since been accused by West Point's Combating Terrorism Center and the Counterterror Sufan Center to human rights organizations and international peace missions and by the mainstream press of being the nexus to a global terrorist movement responsible for war crimes, mass shootings, and organizing online in ways similar to jihadist networks. Congressman Ro Khanna and progressive members of Congress tried for several years to end U.S. military aid to the Azov Battalion. They finally did so in the 2018 Defense Appropriation Bill, but Azov reportedly continued to receive U.S. arms and training despite the ban. White supremacy and neo-Nazism are unacceptable and have no place in our world. Representative Ro Khanna, an outspoken critic of providing lethal aid to Ukraine, said in a statement to The Hill, I'm very pleased that the recently passed omnibus prevents the U.S. from providing arms and training assistance to the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion fighting in Ukraine. On March 10th, 2022, Congressman Ro Khanna deleted a tweet saying, quote, the U.S. has been complicit in the rehabilitation and spread of neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Enough is enough. Our government must stand up to the Azov Battalion and other fascist groups, end quote. After attempting to end U.S. military aid to the Azov Battalion in 2018 and asking to place the Ukrainian militia on the U.S. list of foreign terrorist organizations in 2019, every Democrat in Congress and the majority of Republicans voted to send more than $31 billion in weapons to Ukraine in 2022. Apparently, the Democrat and progressive members of Congress who often call President Donald Trump and his supporters white supremacists and Nazis are more than happy to send $31 billion of advanced military weapons to an actual Ukrainian neo-Nazi foreign terrorist organization. And I think I have made that case pretty convincingly on this podcast over the past few months. I don't think that there is any doubt about whether or not the Azov Battalion 
really is a Nazi battalion. And whether or not the Ukrainian nationalists still celebrate Nazis from back in World War II. And that history has a direct line to what we're seeing now. Now, this is particularly interesting this week because Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States, who has absolutely no business in foreign affairs whatsoever, was over in Ukraine this week for some unknown reason. And he has now appointed an aging Nazi hunter to seek out Russian war crimes against Ukraine. And framed that way, it sounds like a semi-reasonable thing to do. We want to make sure that war crimes are not being committed by the Russians, except it kind of falls apart because all of the stories and examples that we've been given showing war crimes by Russians have turned out to be false. And at the very same time, we know that the Ukrainian nationalists have been engaged in a civil war against the Donbass region and the ethnic Russians living there since 2014, when the United States executed an overthrow of Ukraine's government and installed their own puppet government. So with that in mind and the obviousness of Nazis and neo-Nazis deeply enmeshed in Ukraine's fighting forces, it seems pretty clear that this move by Merrick Garland was made for the purpose of covering up actual neo-Nazi war crimes by Ukraine. And then there's this piece by Paul Joseph Watson writing for Summit News. Ukraine bans main opposition party, seizes all its assets. And this is something that has been coming for a bit now. There has been plenty of talk about this, but let's go through it. Ukrainian authorities have banned the country's main opposition party and seized all its assets, once again undermining the narrative that President Zelensky is presiding over a beacon of democracy. The country's Ministry of Justice announced the move via Facebook, revealing that the opposition platform for life has been shut down and its assets, money and property transferred to the state. The party had previously had its operation suspended in March after it was accused of being complicit with Russia and being, quote unquote, anti-Ukrainian. The ban means that Zelensky's main political opposition has been eliminated. The OPPL was the second largest party in the country, and its popularity surpassed that of Zelensky's Servant of the People Party last year. Its leader, Viktor Medvedchuk, who claims he is merely looking out for the interests of the Ukrainian people by seeking better relations with Russia, was placed under house arrest last month. And Medvedchuk was one of the main people featured in Oliver Stone's documentaries about Ukraine. I encourage you to watch those and see if Viktor Medvedchuk seems like some evil villain who is trying to destroy the Ukrainian people. I imagine you will find he seems like exactly the kind of leader the people of Ukraine would and should want. The announcement said the party was suspected of acting to undermine the sovereignty of Ukraine, with authorities having already banned 10 other political opposition parties for the same reason. Last month, President Zelensky signed a bill into law that gave the green light to ban any party that challenged the government's policy on the Russian invasion empowering courts to seize assets without the right to appeal. 
While opposition parties are being obliterated, Ukrainians who engage in dissent are also being rounded up and arrested by armed men from the Ukraine Security Service. As we previously highlighted, Ukraine is also attempting to extradite and imprison citizens who live in other European countries if they criticize Zelensky. Meanwhile, President Zelensky is still being hailed by Western legacy media outlets as a valiant defender of democracy, in contrast to the brutal autocratic dictators who control Russia. What a joke. So the comedic actor in Ukraine and his very bold, very righteous, very legitimate administration and party are banning all of their political opposition. They are literally using state power against anyone who can threaten their grip on power. Now, Ukraine is being funded and directed by the United States and NATO and the EU, all at the behest of the global communist order. And we should understand that that means the principles being expressed in Ukraine and by the actions surrounding Ukraine reflect the principles and the philosophy of those in the global communist order controlling Ukraine. Now, if that's true there and the same people are in control of the United States, then principally and philosophically, that is the future they want in the United States. They want to eliminate the opposition party. They would do it immediately if they could. But the Republican Party still exists and it doesn't seem to be wholly under attack. It doesn't seem like the Democrat Communist Party, who is now in control, is actually trying to eliminate the Republican Party. But they are trying to eliminate their opposition in countless ways. So what does that tell you? Well, first, you might say they don't have the power to eliminate their political opposition. And that seems right to me, but I guess it remains to be seen. Maybe things go really badly and all of us are rounded up. But the deeper truth I want to get at here is that the Republicans are not the opposition party. The Republicans are part of the uniparty and the uniparty needs both the Republican and Democratic parties to continue existing. The Republican Party is controlled opposition, but it's not even opposition. It's just the other half of the same thing meant to market the global communist agenda to a different group of people by appealing to them on what the Uniparty believes Republican voters actually think and believe for the global communists and for the Uniparty to convince a large enough portion of the American public that their agenda is good so that everyone just lays down and accepts it. They need that agenda marketed to different groups of people with competing ideas. All of those people in their vision need to accept and come to terms with the global communist agenda and believe that that is actually the way forward in the past few decades. They have allowed the Republican Party to lead a lot of that charge and taken advantage of their corporatism. And that corporatism has been communicated to Republican voters as being pro-business, which then gets distorted to mean pro-small business, 
pro-entrepreneurship, even though it's not. It's pro-big business. It is pro-centralization of business. It is pro-monopoly. It is pro-corruption. And once they have empowered the corporations and stripped wealth from people and competing businesses and funneled it all to those corporations, well, then they can use the corporations in concert with the state to implement the more communist goals, which is the social agenda and the welfare state and the climate change nonsense and the elimination of borders and sovereignty. And then eventually it's all on display with issues like Ukraine, where both parties come together to achieve all of those corrupt and criminal and evil ends in unison. So the global communists and the uniparty actually need the Republicans. They don't want to eliminate the Republican Party because the Republican Party is not the opposition party. The opposition party is MAGA, and they quite clearly want to eliminate MAGA. They actually don't even bother attacking MAGA as the opposition party. They call them Republicans, but it, they always describe a certain type of Republicans. It's not the Republican Party they're going after. They're going after individual issues. And anytime there is disagreement with the global communist position, the media attempts to label all of those positions on those individual issues as something MAGA, something Trump, something QAnon, to the point where eventually anything that they disagree with is MAGA or Trump or QAnon. And that is what they want to eliminate. Their strategy is to convince both sides, right? Republicans and Democrats, those two sides, that everything MAGA is bad. Everything MAGA is a conspiracy theory. All of it is illegitimate. It is racist. It is violent. It is science denying. It is election denying. They are the repeaters of the big lie. What Ukraine is doing under the puppet leadership of the comedic actor is no different principally, philosophically, or morally than what the corrupt uniparty establishment in the United States wants to do and will do if allowed the opportunity. They simply do not have any principle that tells them it is wrong to attempt to eliminate your political opposition using state power, state force, and state violence. And with all of that in mind, I want to move to an editorial in USA Today from yesterday. This is written by Michael Hayden, James Clapper, Stanley McChrystal, Douglas Lute and Mark Hurtling. These are all members of the corrupt military industrial complex who operate in service of and on behalf of the global communist order. Hayden and Clapper are leading figures in the Russiagate conspiracy, and they lied in front of Congress. Stanley McChrystal was the one who executed the big tech PSYOP in America, his organization was called Defeat Disinfo, and they ran similar tactics that they used to run in the Middle East to deal with terrorists. They ran that on the American people to distort the information sphere in 2020 around COVID and the stolen election. These are legitimately bad anti-American people. But here's their editorial. The headline. We fought to defend democracy. 
This new threat to America now keeps us awake at night. And all of you honestly should be awake at night, worrying about the fact that you will eventually spend the rest of your lives in prison at best. We know something about serious threats to America's democracy. Each of us has invested the better part of our lives in military and public service and in defense of the democratic institutions that Americans cherish. Our careers have placed us on the front lines of the gravest threats America has faced in the past half century. Today, we harbor unprecedented concern for our country and for our democracy. The nation we have defended for decades is in real peril. Our democratic institutions and norms are more vulnerable than ever. If you were to ask us when in our lives we were most likely to be losing sleep at night, we would all tell you last night and tonight and tomorrow night, because history teaches us that democracy is never guaranteed, not even here. For those of us devoted to protecting democracies abroad, there comes a time when our efforts seem overshadowed by the erosion of democracy here at home. And for those of us focused on domestic security, the forces of autocracy now trump traditional foreign threats, hands down. You got that? The biggest threat is the American people, not traditional foreign threats. It's the American people wanting Donald Trump, the rightful winner of the November 3rd, 2020 election to be president. And we want a country that works and we want to know that our vote counts. Gosh, we are just descending into autocracy. It is no accident that one in three Americans seem willing to justify political violence as a means for overturning election results. And if you believe that, it means you have already accepted the premise that the election was free and fair and the safest and most secure election of all time, and that fraud had nothing to do with the results, which is to say you are either ignorant, stupid, or lying. This mindset has been nurtured by would-be autocrats and their enablers, who applaud the willingness of some Americans to rise up, even with weapons in hand, to quote-unquote take back a vision of America that's riddled with contradictions, prejudices, and systemic inequalities. And there's no one I would call before Michael Hayden, James Clapper, and Stanley McChrystal to fix that problem. For the rest of us, that willingness is a harbinger of a decades-long challenge that we now face together to turn the tide of extremism and find a starting point for building bridges between those who lean to the right and those who lean to the left. And it's amazing that he uses for the rest of us. Oh, it's only those, those crazy people, those outsiders, that one-third who read the Declaration of Independence, those crazies over there, those people justifying political violence. <laughs> not like... Not like the left does and like the mainstream does and like the television does and all normies do when confronted with the death of George Floyd, a fentanyl overdose death while being restrained by a police officer. You can enact any amount of political violence as long as that is your motivation and not your justifiable discontent with an election that was blatantly stolen in front of everyone. The safe and fair elections pledge by Team Democracy is the perfect starting point. Written by Americans who are deeply committed to the health of our democracy, it asks all Americans to come together on an important piece of common ground. 
a safe place where regardless of political persuasion, we can agree to embrace the most fundamental cornerstones of our democracy by committing ourselves to elections that are both secure and accessible and assuring the peaceful transition of power according to the rule of law. I love that they called their group Team Democracy. Clown show. Absolute clown show. These are supposed to be the most serious people the television has to offer. We are proud to have signed this nonpartisan declaration, and we encourage every local, state, and federal official, especially those who achieved or hope to achieve their position through the electoral process, to make this same commitment. We and many of our partners and friends will personally invite every member of Congress to join us in signing this pledge. Oh, yes. So great. A pledge to never challenge the reported results of elections, no matter how much obvious fraud is present. For those who do, we will be forever grateful. And Americans who cherish our democracy will be grateful too. For those who don't, we and others will wonder why and ask why and keep asking until there's no room for ambiguity. In 2020, Spencer Cox, a Republican, and Chris Peterson, a Democrat, competed in the Utah gubernatorial race. Politically, they agreed on almost nothing, except the entirety of the global communist agenda, of course. They share a profound respect for democratic institutions and lawful electoral process. They said so in combined campaign ads, promoting mutual respect, cooperation, and peaceful transfer of power, no matter who wins. And isn't that sweet? The Uniparty is so closely aligned that they are willing to put out political ads together and then make sure that their voters are going to accept the results of the election, no matter how fraudulent and no matter who wins. Because the important thing is that a Uniparty candidate will hold power either way. It's time to join Team Democracy. We need help to amplify the Cox-Peterson example, so it becomes something more than a one-time novelty. The SAFE pledge provides an opportunity for candidates and incumbents from every corner of the country to create their own Cox-Peterson moments. And it invites voter participation too, not just by signing the election pledge as an American citizen, but by then also insisting that our candidates join Team Democracy by signing it. We need a pledge for everyone. And if they don't sign the pledge that they will accept whatever election results the television reports, well, then clearly they are a threat to democracy. A clear majority of Americans favor strengthening our democracy rather than weakening it. Oh, and if you ask the question that way, you will probably always have a clear majority. We say we want more bipartisanship in our government. And yes, people probably do say that because they don't understand what bipartisanship means anymore. And they are stuck in a Republican and Democrat paradigm that is obsolete and meaningless in 2022. For voters who wonder what they can do that might turn down the temperature in Washington and help make our elected representatives more accountable. The safe pledge is a powerful nonpartisan initiative that fits the bill. Imagine the impact on our lawmakers. If each of them heard from each of us with the simplest of all messages, sign the safe pledge and then honor it by building greater confidence in safe, secure, accessible elections and committing to the peaceful transition of power, absent intimidation, coercion, or violence. 
That's not asking too much of our elected representatives, but in 2022 America, it could prove to be a game changer. So their initiative is centered around convincing politicians to accept fraudulent elections in order to remain in power under the force of threat of former military industrial complex and Intel community officials, ones who are absolutely willing to lie in their Senate testimony to cover up the fact that they participated in a coup and also use DARPA developed technology and processes that they used against Middle Eastern terrorists on the citizens of the United States. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, because you just woke up recently or you haven't been listening to the show that long, I talked about this a lot, especially in the second half of 2020. Look up Defeat Disinfo, Stanley McChrystal, and then look up a group called Main Street One that does the marketing side of the Defeat Disinfo operation. And then when you see celebrities out there doing their little political ads and political statements on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and wherever, understand that there is a choreographed operation behind that. And all of that operation is for the express purpose of making sure that the American public believes the things that they must believe according to the global communists. And if you're the sort of very centrist person who wants to say, okay, well, you're not really giving these guys the benefit of the doubt. They could be loyal American public servants who who have served their country honorably and simply have a difference of opinion. I would ask you to remember that James Clapper and Michael Hayden were among the 51 former military and intelligence officials who signed a letter speculating without evidence that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Yeah, that was these guys too. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!